hopefully you're there in John, and, uh, and hopefully also you have one of these devotional books. Now remember, the Gospel of John partners with a, a guide that we, we built here at New Hope for you. And uh, so as we work through passages on Sunday morning during the week, you get to work on other passages and, and follow along that way. And so if you don't yet have one of these devotional books, we've got a couple left on the back table, which you can grab now, or you can, on your way out, uh, grab. We're also located on our church website. You can download the whole thing. We've got, oh, they're all gone. We have one, they're on their website, so you can go there and download them, and we can, of course, make some more for next week. So hopefully you have this. You know, it's been super encouraging to hear the stories of just what God's doing in people's lives, in your lives, as, as you're getting in Scripture during the week and small groups are interacting through the Gospel of John. And, and personally, it's a huge encouragement. I see, I see so many people coming in on a Sunday morning and they've got their Bible and they've got their devotional guide and they're ready to go. And, and some of you are skipping the bulletin and you're writing notes in your devotional guide. You're just following along right there because you've just got it all together. So great job. Keep it up. Keep staying in the Word. And I'm uh, just so, so proud of, of how you're responding as a, as a church. So... All right, so this morning, John chapter 3. In this passage this morning, what we're going to be looking at is a conversation that John is going to give us a glimpse into between Jesus and a gentleman by the name of Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a religious leader, and Nicodemus represents that group, and he comes to Jesus because, like on the, the sign to my left here, he is curious about who Jesus is. He he wants to know more, and, and so he's wrestling. And in fact, as you know, if you spent time this last week, your devotional guy took you through John chapter 2. And in John chapter 2, two significant events take place. The first is that Jesus goes to a village named Cana, high up in the hills, and there at a wedding, he turns water into wine. A remarkable miracle that John records, the first miracle. Well, Nicodemus was either there or he heard about it. And then it says that Jesus then went to Jerusalem. He's at the temple, and there he sees uh, the money changers are there, and it's, it's noisy and smelly with animals and all this stuff going on. And Jesus is looking at this, and this is not what he intended a house of worship and prayer to be. And so he fashions a whip, a, a cord, if you will, and he begins to cleanse the temple, uh, scattering the animals, overturning the money tables, all of that. These two events that took place intrigued, maybe bothered Nicodemus and other religious leaders enough that he wants to find out more. He wants to do some investigation. And maybe that's where you're at in your spiritual journey too, is you just want to investigate who is Jesus and what does he want from my life? The two primary questions we're looking at in this sermon series. And so let's, uh, if again, John chapter three, let's jump in in verse one as we, uh, as we get started here. John chapter three, verse one. Here's how it begins. It says, now there was a Pharisee a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now here we learn two things about Nicodemus. The first is that he was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were one of the, some of the religious leaders of the day. The Pharisees were known as, as being experts of the law, the Old Testament. They studied the Old Testament. They protected the Old Testament. They loved rules and laws. That's who Nicodemus was. Very religious man. Second thing we learn is that he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Or in other words, that was also called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was a 70-member uh, supreme court for the nation of Israel. Nicodemus was part of that group. So what does that mean? That means he was educated. That means he was influential. He was a leader and he was powerful. He was, again, on, you think about our Supreme Court, he was essentially an equivalent of that on the Jewish Supreme Court of that day. That's who Nicodemus is. Let's keep going in verse 2. 
It says that he came to Jesus at night, which has famously given him the nickname Nick at Night. So he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. I want us to notice that, that Nicodemus is very respectful of Jesus. He, he comes to him in, in, a, in a respectful way and says, look, I, I, just, I recognize you're a teacher from God. You're someone from God. Now, why does he say this? Well, because of the miracle in Cana and what he's hearing and seeing. There's enough there to intrigue him. And he comes very respectful, basically saying, Jesus, you do miracles. For Nicodemus, he taught classes on miracles, but Jesus did them. And so he has a respectful posture to Jesus as he comes to him. Now, what is going to happen next, you're going to see in verse 3, is that Jesus is going to hijack the conversation. Ever been in one of those before? Nicodemus comes to him and he wants, it seems like, he wants to talk about this event in Cana. You know, like, Jesus, so how did you do that again? And what was the trick? And how did you pull that off? And, And what was going on with that? But Jesus has no interest in talking about that. And so he's going to completely take over the conversation and redirect it a different direction. In fact, what he wants to do, Jesus wants to teach the teacher. He wants to help him understand some important things. And by extension, help us understand some important things as well. Now let me just say, these verses we're going to look at this morning, uh, verses 1 through 21, they are, they are incredibly deep. They are very significant. There's, there's a lot of theology here, and we're going to take it head on and go for it this morning. But I just want to encourage you, we're going to do what we can do in 30 minutes. But I, just this week, take your devotional guide, take your Bible, go back over this, these verses again. There's so much in here. You're going to get more out of it the more you read through it. And so I want to encourage you to do that. So, but for us this morning, here we go. Buckle your seatbelts. We're off and running. Verse 3, let's keep going. Jesus replied to Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now Nick's confused. We know this. Look at verse 4. He says, How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. You almost see like the, 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 the gears are grinding in his head. He's trying to figure this out. How, how in the world is this going to work? Because he's thinking about a second physical birth. Now, that's going to be awkward for everyone. Like how is this going to be pulled off? How is he going to do this? So verse 5, Jesus continues to respond. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Now Nicodemus is totally confused, and maybe you are too. So what's going on here? Well, well, Jesus, let me just say first of all, these verses, especially verse 5, there's a lot of debate about what this means. There is confusion even among biblical scholars about what exactly is Jesus talking about. So I'm going to tell you my view, and if you disagree, you can throw cotton balls at me and and whatever. But, But this is what I think is going on here. I think what is going on here is that Jesus is drawing a distinction between this. To enter the kingdom of God, to be saved, a person must be born of water. And what that means is born physically. So the idea is a a woman's pregnant, her water breaks, and then a birth ensues. This referring to physical birth. must be born of water and born of the Spirit or of the Holy Spirit. One's a physical birth, the other is a spiritual birth. Now let's acknowledge that all of us are born physically, but not all of us are born spiritually. 
that's the key. Now, maybe you're wondering, okay, maybe I'm tracking you, but what does it mean to be born spiritually? What, what is that referring to? Hang tight on that. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. Let's keep reading now in verse 6. Jesus continues. He says, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, gives birth to spirit. Notice the distinction between the two. Physical, spiritual. Verse 7. You must not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, as I imagine it, I think Nicodemus' head is spinning now. He's lost. He's completely confused in terms of what's going on here and what Jesus is saying. He can't keep up. But for our sake, let me just give us a little bit of insight here of what he's saying in your first fill in the blank. So bulletin backside. Here's our first principle this morning in terms of what Jesus is getting at here when he says all this. Here it is. Salvation doesn't come from keeping religious rules. This is so important. This is what Jesus is talking about. Salvation does not come from keeping religious rules. Now for Nicodemus, remember, he's a Pharisee. He does rules. He loves rules. They, they, he memorized all the laws, 613 Old Testament laws. He knows them all. He memorizes them all. He, he lives for the rules. And now Jesus is here telling him, actually, that's not how it works. That's not how you're saved. How you're saved is you must be born again. And this is something that you actually you don't do and I don't do. It's something the Holy Spirit does in us. That's the difference. Now, th- this is a bombshell for Nicodemus. But I would submit to you, and even Jesus said this shouldn't surprise you. This should not have surprised him. Here's why. The Old Testament, which Nicodemus knew so well, talked about this very idea, prophesied about it. Now don't turn there in your Bibles. Just look at this couple of verses here. Ezekiel chapter 36 Verses 27, 26 and 27. This is, God's telling Israel, this is going to happen. He, God says this, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is something the Old Testament prophesied about. What's it saying? It's saying, God's saying, look, the day is coming when God's going to do a whole new thing. He's going to take from people their heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. He's going to put the Holy Spirit within people. This was totally new and different from the Old Testament. And this is, this is just amazing. Because what this highlights is what God does. See, he's not interested in making you a better version of you. What he wants to do is make you a new you, a new creation. He wants to take your old life, your old person, and in that, and when the Holy Spirit comes in, when you're born again, you become a brand new creation, completely different. This is what God wants to do. This is how he wants to work. Now, how does this happen? Look again, and Ryan, next slide. I want us to highlight a couple words here. Look how God says this. What is his role in these verses and what is ours? God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. What do we do? Nothing. We receive. There's nothing that we do. God is the one who does it all. He accomplishes all of it. God says over and over, I will do it. I will do it. 
I will do it. Now, hang with me if you're like, oh, it's over my head. What are we talking about? Just hang with me. This, this is so important because if you, if you and I, if we get this, you get the heartbeat behind Christianity. This is so, so important. Now, why is it that God is the only one that can accomplish this? Here's why. Because you and I, all of us, we start out spiritually dead. Dead in our nature, spiritually dead. Dead in our actions and deeds. Because of our sin, sin nature and sin actions, we are spiritually dead. Now, uh, spiritual corpses, if you will. And corpses don't do anything, decide anything, will anything, say anything, choose anything. They don't do anything. And likewise, spiritually, we can't do that. Rather, what we need is for God to raise us spiritually from the dead. We need a resurrection in our own heart and life. We need him to accomplish that within us. Paul says the same thing in the New Testament. It's not just an Old Testament thing. Next slide. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. Now hang with me. I know this is maybe a lot, but hang with me. You'll see why this matters in a second. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. He's talking to the church. He says, look, you used to be dead, spiritually dead in your transgressions and sin. Were, they weren't anymore. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. God accomplishes it. God does it. We don't do it. Paul's saying this, you were dead in your sins, but now you have been made alive because of what God has done in you, not because of anything you have done in yourself. Let me say it a different way. None of us here birthed ourselves physically. In the same way, you can't birth yourself spiritually. You can't. God has to do it for you and in you. It's a work that he does It's something that he accomplishes. And when he does it, when you are born again, here's your next fill in the blank, the next thing that's significant now. When we are born again, we are different because of what he's accomplished. We're different. There should be evidence of the decision that we make and the work that he does. Now, to try to to flesh this out, I want to give an illustration or an analogy, if you will. And we can learn a lot about what it looks like to spiritually be born again and begin a new life in Christ with a brand new newborn. And so the analogy holds the same way. Like, think about a newborn. When, when, a, when a, a child is brought into the world and is born, and I had the privilege of being there for the birth of, of all of our kids, when the child is born, what's one of the first things that you're kind of anticipating and holding your breath and waiting for? I mean, I can't speak for you, but for, for us, it's you want to hear the baby cry, right? You want to hear that first, eh, and they're like, yes, okay, they're alive, they're breathing. Like, that's a good thing, and you long for that, and you wait for that, that first cry. It's, it's, a, it's a cry, it's joy, and there's life with that. Of course, they never stop crying after that. That's a whole different story. But it's that first cry, right? You're just so excited because of It's evidence of life. You know, in the same way, when a person says yes to Jesus and and invites him into his life and and he or she becomes born again, similarly, that person begins to evidence that change by they start crying out to God. God, I love you. God, I need you. God, I repent. God, help me. God, I can't do this. And they begin to evidence through prayer and worship and just a posture of God, I need you and crying out to him. That's evidence of of transformation. That's evidence of being born again. You know what else newborns do besides cry a lot? 
they get hungry, don't they? It doesn't take too much longer, and they have an appetite. They're hungry. And similarly, when a person says yes to Jesus and they're born again, an appetite begins to ensue, and an appetite specifically for Scripture, for God's Word. That person wants to, wants to learn about who he is, and there's a hunger for, for, for the Bible. And I will speak for, my old, for, for me personally, the old me before Jesus, I didn't have a hunger for the Bible. I didn't like the Bible. I didn't read the Bible. But once I became a Christian, all of a sudden, I just, I wanted to read it. God wrote a book. That's amazing. I want to know what God has to say. And so I began to, to join Bible studies. And I started going to a local church. And I, I was, it was in high school. And then I went to college very soon after that. Took Bible classes. Like anything I could do to learn about the Bible, I wanted to know. See, a born-again person has an appetite. Not, not just for Scripture either. They, they have an appetite to, to worship and praise. They have an appetite to pray. They have an appetite to serve others and do ministry. They have an appetite for, for being in community with other people. They're, look, Christianity, it, it, the perspective, the evidence is, like this is not a bunch of have-tos I have to do. Oh, it's Sunday again. I guess I've got to go to church again. Uh-uh. It's I get to go. I get to serve. I get to worship. I get to have my quiet time during the week. I can't wait because I want to know him and walk with him. That's evidence of being born again. So, so crying out, appetite is evidence. Can I give you one more? One more. When, when children then, they're born and they begin to grow, maybe into toddlerhood, if you will, appetites begin to change, don't they? Newborns, they love milk. They want milk. That's where they're at. But then as they grow, all of a sudden you introduce them to and they have a new appetite for, I don't know, that nasty in a jar like asparagus, carrot, spinach, blah, right? It's all in there. And I don't know why babies like it, but they eat it up. And so all of a sudden it moves from milk to, to this jarred soft food. And then it goes from there into something else. Appetite, their appetite changes. It begins to, to change. And that's the same when a person is born again, their desires, your desires, my desires, change. Can I share a story with you? Um, I was 10 years old, 11 years old, something like that. I remember having a sleepover with my, my cousin. And that night, um, I, we ate what I absolutely loved and probably had it for dinner for all I remember, but gummy worms. Anybody like gummy worms? It's like two hands. All right. Well, anyhow, at the time, I love, I mean, I just gummy worms. We were just blah, 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 watching movies, eating gummy worms all night. And, and, and I ate so many gummy worms that night. I was like, oh, I don't feel so good. That night, I hung out with the toilet, right? I was just throwing up gummy worms. Sorry, but this is what it was. And it was just all night throwing up gummy worms. That night, I had a conversion experience. I cannot think about gummy worms, look at gummy worms, Certainly, don't anybody send me gummy worms. I mean, I, don't, I get nauseous when I see gummy worms. And maybe you have something like that, I, I, whatever it is. I mean, cheeseburgers, uh, shrimp, I don't know. There's something for you. You're like, oh, I can't even look at that. I can't even, I can't even go in the same room with that. That's what I'm talking about. It's this idea that I used to love this. I used to do that. I used to be involved in this. And then I met Jesus, and I invited him into my heart and life. And all of a sudden, it's like, that's not fun. I don't want to do that anymore. My appetite's actually over here. I want to be involved in this. Let's, let's be real honest for a moment. The old us, sin is fun. Sin is what I want to be involved in. The new you, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't even know why I don't want to do it anymore, but I just don't want to do it anymore. And all of a sudden, because God is working in you, and now you have a new desire, that's evidence of what God is doing in you. That's evidence of being born again. Crying out to God appetite for God, 
desires change. These are the types of things that God is doing when he's working in you. And that's an exciting thing. Let's keep going. Verse 9. The conversation continues. Nicodemus still confused. It says, he says, how, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus said, you are Israel's teacher. And do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know. And we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things. And you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? He said, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. He's referring to himself. A remarkable verse. No one's ever gone into heaven except the one, Jesus, who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now at this point, at least as as I read through this passage, um, our, our Nick at night got really quiet. There's no more questions. There's no more back and forth. I think for Nicodemus, I think he was, there's something penetrated him. Because if you think about it, here's a guy that spent his entire life trying to be religious, who spent his entire life trying to be good enough and keep all the rules, who, who spent his entire life trying to work his way up to God And in that moment, standing right there in front of him is is Jesus, the Savior Messiah, who who, who is pointing out, look, you don't work your way up to God. This is all about me, and I have come down to meet you where you're at. And Jesus, who, I mean, consider this, the Son of God who sat on a throne and heard night and day, holy, 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 leaves a throne, born as, a, as an infant, grows to be a man to go and die on a cross, and throughout his life, especially at the end, hearing not holy, 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 but hearing rather people declare crucify, crucify, crucify. This is the contrast that is standing here in this moment right in front of Nicodemus, which brings us to the point of the entire conversation they just had and the point of this morning and what we're talking about. And here's your next fill in the blank. It's this that we are all saved by works. But it's Jesus' works, not ours. We're all saved by works, but it's him. It's not us. And if we get a hold of this, you understand the heartbeat of Christianity. You understand the heartbeat of the Bible. You understand the heartbeat of who Jesus is and what he came to do for you. You understand his sufferings, his death, his resurrection, all done for you, for me. That he's the one that paid, he's the one that saves us. He's the one that that paid the penalty for our sins. And to drive this home for Nicodemus, he, he, he makes mention of something from the Old Testament. He makes mention of a story that Nicodemus would have known very well from the book of Numbers, chapter 21. This week, you go back, read it. It's a fascinating story. Israel's there in, their, in, their, in the desert and, and they're disobeying God and God in judgment sends fiery snakes into the camp. And these snakes are biting people and the people are dying. 
And so God, he, he's, he's trying to bring the people to repentance here. And so he, he has a solution rather than a copay and a deductible. He says, look, this is what we're going to do. I want you, Moses, to get a pole, wrap a bronze snake around it, and I want you to put it in the center of the camp. And when people come and they look up to that, 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 that pole with the bronze snake on it, I will heal them. And so they built the thing and they put it in there and people came and they looked at it and, and God healed them. And what Jesus is doing, he's saying, nicknames, remember that story back in Numbers 21? I know you didn't see it before, but I'm here to tell you, this is all about Jesus now. This is all about me. And the reality for all of us to hear as well that, that we are all snake bitten. We are. Our sin, and, and the result is, is death. That's the result. And for us, it's not about, again, working our way up. It's about looking up. And just like the people in Israel, they looked up to a pole with a bronze snake on it, and they were healed physically. So as we look to a cross with a Savior suffering on it, so we are healed, healed spiritually. By his stripes, we are healed. It all points to Jesus. Again, what do we accomplish in this? Nothing. He accomplishes it all on our behalf. This is the heartbeat of the gospel message in terms of how he accomplishes. You and I, we have to be born again, not works trusting in him by faith through grace. And I think it's interesting too that this story in Numbers 21, what Jesus brings up for Nicodemus is even today the symbol for medicine today. Here's some examples. You see it there. Why does it have a pole and a snake on it? Because it's in scripture and it all points to Jesus. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the one that accomplishes it. Jesus is the one who went to the cross in our place. Jesus is the only one son of God who is perfect, blameless, unblemished lamb of God who died for our sins in our place. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. So as we wrap up, this brings us to the most, um, I don't know, beloved, known, memorized, cherished, probably verse in all the Bible. Can we just read it together out loud? Let's do it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Isn't that amazing? Let that soak in. That's a new verse for you. Can I just encourage you? Write that on a three-by-five card or poster board. I don't care what. Put it on your mirror. This is the gospel in one verse. This is the New Testament boiled down to one idea. For God so loved the world. And even just that idea alone is mind-blowing. Because, you know, most major religions in the world, the God of that religion loves only those that are of that certain kind. Just a certain group. If you're already a follower, then you're loved. But God's perspective is so different. He says, I love the world. He has, he has deep passion and compassion for all people. And I love that you look at the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, and it gives a, it gives a snapshot in there of heaven and what heaven's going to look like. And it specifically calls out that people from all, all nations, people groups, tribes, cultures, languages, they're all there at the throne worshiping the Son of God, Jesus. This is a foundation for missions even. God has a passion for people, a passion for you, your family, your loved ones, this church, this community, and it spreads out Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. His passion is equal. His pursuit is, is I mean, he just, he's all in. This is who he is, and this is what he's about.
Let's wrap up. Verse 17, the conversation here is how it ends. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Verse 19, this is, this is the verdict. So think of a court case. This is the concluding decision. This is where it all wraps up. This is the concluding matter. It says, light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Kind of reads like today's front page of the newspaper, doesn't it? And everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. It can't be any more clear or direct, can it? He who has the Son is not condemned. And he, and he who does not have the Son stands condemned already. And I know full well it is unpopular today to be this direct to any group of people. But I figure it's my job to declare and it's your job to decide. And I want to share this morning. I want to challenge this morning. I want to I ask as we wrap up this morning. Are you born again? Have you made that decision? See, our questions for this whole sermon series is, who is Jesus? And I don't know if you're starting to pick up and notice already, but the answer every week is pretty much the same. Every week is Jesus is Savior, he is Messiah. And what does he want for my life? What does he want for your life? From this passage here, it's very clear. He wants you to be born again. He, he, wants, he wants you to have made that decision. Not works, not by doing anything, but simply receiving by faith through grace what he has accomplished already for you. Remember, when you and I die, you don't stand before a mirror to give an account of your life. You stand before a holy God. Have you been born again? Have you made that decision? And I wanna invite the band, if you'd come on up, if you would, please. And I just wanna share maybe one more thing because it's just on my heart. It was first service too. I've been a pastor a long time, and, and over 20 years or so, I have interacted with a lot of, too many, people who have spent decades in a church. I mean, I mean decades. And yet still I hear comments like this, I, I hope I've done enough good. I hope God will receive me. Um, I hope he sees I served on this community or uh, com committee or gave this or my church, Whatever. And it breaks my heart. People living far too much of their lives without assurance of salvation. And John, the same John here with the Gospel of John, wrote another book later in the New Testament, 1 John. Look at this verse here. He spells it out. He says, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have have life. There it is. It's, it's binary. It's one or the other. Have the son, don't have the son. Life or no life. It's just there, clear. And then verse 13, he wraps up. He says, look, I write these things to you. Who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life? 
And I just deeply for you want you to have that assurance. I want you to have that assurance that, that not I, I hope I'm saved, cross my fingers. I hope, you know, God's grading on a curve when I get there. Like, I don't want that for you because it's all about what he's accomplished, not what you accomplish. It's all about have you received him, not have I worked my way up. It's all about coming to a place where you say, I recognize Jesus, who you are, who I am, my need for a savior, and I simply receive, again, by faith, through grace, invite you to be my savior and my Lord. Look at this quote as we close. Some truth here. He who provides for this life, but takes no care for eternity, they're wise for a moment, but a fool forever. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. If you have never said yes to Jesus, if you have never made that decision saying, I want to be born again, I don't know if I'm born again, I, I, I want that assurance of salvation, I recognize who he is, I recognize who I am, and I just recognize I need to place my trust in him, in him alone. But I want to make, give you the opportunity this morning to make a decision to say yes to Jesus. It happened in the first service. And so we're going to pray here in just a moment, and, 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 and I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond by raising your hand, and, and if we do, then I'll lead you through a prayer. But for all of us to pray and to tell God, thank you. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to stand up and we're going to worship with all of our heart a Savior who has accomplished everything on our behalf. That's what we're going to do this morning. So would you close your eyes and pray with me as we close this morning? Father, this morning we recognize that we are saved by works, just not ours. And we recognize that you are an incredible Savior who loves and loves not just in, in sentiment or word, but loves so much that you sent your son, you sent Jesus into the world to pay the penalty for our sins, to go to the cross in our place. And this morning for all of us, individually and as a church, I want us to come to a place deeply that, that we recognize that it's not by works, it's, it's, it's a position of choosing to place our trust in Jesus. And out of a response to that, yes, we do works, yes, we serve and we love and we pray and we, we spend time, but Lord, it comes out of a result of who we are in you. I pray if anybody here is in this place of, I just, I'm just in the rat race of trying to be good enough, that today would be a day that that ends the exhaustion of that life would be over. And so right now, I want to give, eyes are closed, I want to give anybody here who you've not yet made that decision to say yes to Jesus and invite him, invite him into your heart and life to be Lord and Savior, to, to be born again, where you say, I want today to be my spiritual birthday. The day I begin a new adventure with you, the day that I invite Jesus into my heart and life, not to make me a better version of me, but to make me a new me, a new creation. If that's where you're at today, I just ask you just simply, quietly, just raise your hand up. I'll see it, and you can put it down. I see you. I see you. For those of you who raised your hand, or even if you didn't, but you're still just in that and you're wrestling, and you want to pray this prayer, please, you can. Lord, this morning I recognize that I'm a sinner that I have violated your commands and gone my own way. And Lord, this also this morning, I recognize that you are the Savior who paid the penalty for my sins on the cross. And this morning, I invite you into my heart and life to be my Savior and to be my Lord. 
And I thank you for all that you have accomplished for me. And for all of us this morning, Lord, as is, is, is we're just celebrating life transformation this morning, Lord, for all of us as your church this morning, we're just gonna worship you and praise you for who you are and for all that you accomplished. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen. In just a moment, we're gonna stand and we're gonna worship. But if you, if, if those of you who raised your hand afterwards, I wanna talk with you and get you some resources and, uh, and potentially get you baptized here soon because it's gonna be a celebration here at New Hope Church. God is working and moving and transforming lives and we have him to praise for it. Let's worship together.